impact, income, and influence. Do you want the most powerful, actionable takeaways from today's episode? Go to actionbullets.com to grab the quick, easy-to-read takeaways that will help you change your life and grow your business. Or you can click the Action Bullets link in the description below. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show on the internet, the number one podcast for reaching millions of people, changing your life, growing your impact and your income all in one place. Today, I have an amazing show for you. I have a wealth coach and not just any wealth coach. This guy has done so much that now he donates 100% of everything he makes to charity. You know he's doing well, but he also is going to pull back the curtain and show us how the wealthy look at money, look at their life, and look at challenges differently from everyone else. This is going to be an action-packed episode. Rennie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing terrific, Steve. Thank you so much. And one of the important things uh, is terminology. And I don't give 100% of everything I make. I give 100% of the profits from my wealth coaching business. Interesting. Well, okay. So right away. There's a difference between revenue and profits. Definitely, 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 definitely. And I think we could, man, we're jumping right into it. We'll get back to this. <laughs> I want to know where all this started for you, because if I'm reading this correctly, it didn't happen till you were 50. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'd had two divorces. I had a business failure and I found myself at age 50 flat broke. I was at least able to earn a living. Um, and I used a concept that's 5,000 years old. Some point and we'll touch on that. I may put you on the spot. Um, but I saved up $18,000 in three years. And with my wife and uh, her realtor, uh, bought a little three-unit property. Um, I could have used it to pay off credit card debt. So one of the things we'll talk about in terms of attitudes of the wealthy is to not, I'll repeat that, do not focus on paying off credit card or consumer debt before you begin investing, saving, and creating a net worth. Interesting. We we are going to definitely talk about that. So what? So you took 18k that you saved up at age 50 and bought. No, I didn't have it till age 53. Took me okay. three years to save so you, it. And you bought you bought a duplex or a triplex? Triplex. Okay, in California. Yeah, yeah, in the Los Angeles area. Okay, and what I want to know, like from there. How did things move forward? And I also want to know what your inner dialogue was, because I think a lot of people have heard like pay off debts and you have a wife that we have 18K and that's what we have. That's our nest egg. That's our retirement. And you want to go do what with it? How did that conversation go? Uh, It went um, pretty well because my third wife uh, was more financially stable. And one of the expressions, quotes, whatever, I say very, very often is wealth creation is a team sport, not a solo sport. And my $18,000 would buy bupkis. So so my wife chipped in 18,000 and the realtor said, you know, this is such a good deal. I'm going to chip in 36,000. The three of us will buy it together. Interesting. That's what we did. Okay. So what happened from there? Well, what happened from there is that 18,000 grew in value, my, just my portion, to 125,000 in five years. And uh, 
the total for the three of us was about a half a million. Mm-hmm. And we did a tax deferred exchange, which is a great thing in real estate. And we went from that three unit to a 14 unit. Uh, along the way, during that five-year period, I borrowed money. Another attitude of the wealthy is you borrow money to create wealth. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed money so I could make more down payments with my wife and the realtor. And in five years, we went from that three-unit purchase to 50, five-zero units we owned and managed. Nice. Did you? So we're going to talk about real estate a little bit. I have some experience. Um, but I want to I want to keep focused on the mindset and that five year period because I think a lot of people say if I can just get that first deal, yes, I can start moving forward. So from age fifty to fifty three, one, how did you save the money? Because I think that's the first thing, right? People have a hard time yeah. saving. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, can can I put you on the spot? Yeah, of course. Okay, have you heard of the expression "pay yourself first? Absolutely. Okay. Can you explain it? Yes. Go ahead. For ever this, the way I see it, num you can critique, is every dollar that comes into my business first. I, I use um, Michael McCallowitz's profit uh, first. Profit first. So yes, that's, that's the concept. So every dollar that comes into my business, ten percent goes into my profit account, which I do not touch. It gets. I do it yearly. Um, so that sits there and builds. That money goes to me. Then I take out my salary. That comes next. And then I take out taxes. And then what is left over, I put into marketing or the business. Um, I have it very well set up. Uh, before I did Mike Michalowicz's, if you haven't done it, Profit First, great book, get the audio, you'll get everything you need from that. Um before that, though, what I did, because I didn't understand, I didn't do like the 10% and everything, but I did take out my salary first. I said, how much do I need to make to pay myself what I used to make in my corporate job, which is 100K a year? How much do I need to make? So I really need to make about 180 to have any marketing budget to pay my taxes and to keep the business going. But what the same way time expands if we have white space on our calendar, we will find things to fill it. The same way, if you have $100,000 come into your business, this is a thing that I see a lot of coaches and a lot of consultants, they fail right away because, well, I made 10K this month and they spend it, right? They find junk to spend it on all over the place. And then the, the next month, maybe they make 25. Well, they spend all 25. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's how I see it. Is that, am I on the right track? Yep, you're absolutely on the right track. The original concept Uh, is 5,000 years old. It's uh, outlined in the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, which was uh, published about 100 years ago. And so Mike took that same concept, applied it to the business. Uh, There's a book called The Wealthy Barber that Mm -hmm. just rehashes the same wealth on any income, excuse me, the same pay yourself first from the richest man in Babylon. And so it's been around a a long time. And you're absolutely right. Before the money goes anywhere, if it's an employee who gets a paycheck, 10% comes out that he keeps, keeps for the rest of his life or her life. And that's the money they get to use to invest. So that's what I did. I was doing business coaching for uh, financial planning and accounting firms. I was making 5,000 a month, not a lot of money. I set aside $500 a month. And that's how I saved up $18,000 in three years. 
That's, I mean, that is perfect. So I want to, I'm going to keep chipping at this one because I think there are so many people listening to this, right? And they're like, but, but I have expenses or I need yeah, to grow yeah. my business or but I've got excuses, excuses up the wazoo. Yeah. Right. So what, what was the mindset hack that changed from when you were 49 to when you were 50 that allowed you to save that $500? Because it's real easy. Let's be real honest. If you come home, you've had a hard day, you've been driving around, you've been dealing with financial advisors and like noise and you're hungry. Instead of cooking a $3 meal at home, it's much easier to say, you know what, tonight we're spending 20 bucks on pizza. Well, you do that three times a week in a month, that's $200, $250 that should have been in savings that now is on pizza, right? So how did, what changed for you? Um, it, there were things that led up to it. And I'd say that the, one of the things that I learned uh, in my 40s uh, was that it's okay to ask for help. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but it is actually enormous because I was raised as a latchkey kid. I'd come home from school at five or six. There's no one there. I'm responsible for me. Unfortunately, with a five-year-old's intellect, I made up that parents aren't there to help me. No one's going to be there to help me. I'm responsible for myself. I'm not going to bother asking for help because there's no one to even ask it of. Well, it's not appropriate to have a 40-year-old being run by the intellect of a five-year-old. Very true. Okay. So I had to break up that conversation. So the first part of it was being willing to ask for help. That's number one. Number two is I had first tried this concept when I was about 31. I read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. I started paying myself first. I set aside uh, in 10 months, uh, $3,000, 300 a month from what I was earning then. And then the IRS said I owed $3,000 in income taxes. I, I was devastated. I, this is the first time I'd had any savings and the IRS just got it all. But here's the difference. Had I not been doing all this by myself and at least said something to someone else, they might've said, well, then maybe you need to set aside more than 300 a month. Or if you hadn't done that, you'd have had to borrow the money to pay the income taxes and then you'd have been paying interest as well. But the point is, I was doing it by myself. So I wasn't getting any support from anyone else. I tried it again in my 40s, and then got divorced, and then the money went again. So by the time I'm 50, I'm figuring in 15 years, either I'm going to be eating cat food or tuna, and I got to get it together. So that's when I got serious and paid myself first, like I said, three years, I had 18,000 and I'd had it in stocks, okay. which provides no opportunity to control the investments other than buying and selling it. Got it. What? Go ahead. I'm going to let you. So I've got some control issues. You know, like I said, yeah. you know, I, was, I wouldn't even ask for people for help. At least now I recognize I've got some control issues and corporate stocks weren't cutting it for me because you know, if I told General Motors what I thought the taillights on a car should look like, <laughs> like they're going to listen to me? No. Right. Yeah, I'm not Warren Buffett. So what I realized is, hmm, in real estate, it would be different. I can control where I buy it, 
uh, what it looks like, how we remodel it, who the tenants are going to be, when we're going to sell it, or if we're going to refinance it, or if we're going to do a tax deferred exchange, if we're going to change the landscaping, if we're going to remodel, it fed my control, it fed my control issues. So that's why I chose the real estate. Awesome. And yeah. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode. Are you enjoying the stories so far? Would you like to know how to use storytelling and story selling in your business? Check the show notes down below or go to storyselling.how to grab my free mini course on story selling and start implementing this in your business right now. All right, let's jump back to the episode. So, okay, what happened? So we, we got 49 to 50, 50 to 53. You buy the place. I love the team sport aspect because I agree with that 100%. Um, you start accumulating some wealth through buying more properties, through leveraging. So in coming into this, you said there are three secrets that the wealthy know that the people who aren't wealthy don't know. Three secrets of the wealthy. I'm guessing one of them is pay yourself first. Uh, actually, it's not. Uh, it's a part of a multitude of attitudes that wealthy people have that are different than ordinary people. And one of them is, Treat yourself like you matter, which is pay yourself first. That's only one of like 30 different attitudes. Okay. The, well, how do so, you, so you that's one on, of the secrets. Well, you touched on a couple. I mean, you touched on when we were talking about the wealthy, right? Or borrowing money. Yep. They're willing to borrow money to accumulate wealth. Correct. They understand that, that, that having a, having zero debt is not necessarily a positive thing. Correct. Absolutely. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The more debt, and I'm talking about investment debt, the wealthier you will be. So talk to us about what the difference is between investment debt. Is a car an investment? Uh, no, no. A car depreciates not, right? in value. Yeah. No, no. So, I mean, not even if, your home, your home isn't even investment debt unless you're renting it out or using it for Airbnb. I have an interesting question and you can do you, does a corporation own the house that you live in so that you can rent it from yourself? Um, no, that, that's, you know, a, a good tax ploy, but uh, there are other things that we're doing. That isn't one of them. Okay. What are, what are some, cause I think a lot of people, when they hear that kind of talk right there, they immediately go, that's beyond anything I know. How did you, in the age from 53 to 58, and onward, because the thing is, like, I think a lot of people are intimidated by real estate. They're scared to get into it. They're scared to have a lot of people will go into debt for a car or a house, but will <laughs> not go into debt for an investment because they're scared, right? Yeah. It's a control thing. Where would you tell people to start? If they want to learn to invest, where should they start? There's multiple places to start. Uh, and that gets back to my expression wealth creation to team sport. One of the people, on, among the three of us was a realtor. He was very experienced. He had several rental houses. He knew good opportunities. And so he was on the team. He found the, the properties that we purchased. Um, for someone who doesn't have a relationship with some realtor, they could join a real estate investment club. They're all over the country. 
They could start their education that way. They could meet some people in the club. One of the things that I say is don't go into business with anyone in the club unless it's someone that the president of the club says you could trust. That's a good rule. That is a good, good rule. I've, I would like team sport to me is like me and my wife. I'm not married, but that's who I would put on my team. I've been, it, it is hard to find quality people that I, I think that is one of the biggest things, but you're right. If the president says you can trust them, if they've been in business for a while, if they, and if the president says that, then they haven't burned anybody in the club because the president would never say that otherwise. Exactly. And one of the things I actually tell people uh, is see if the president is open to working with you. There you go. So, you know, it's either the president of the club or someone he would refer you to. Um, One of the things that I had done was I had taken a class 14 years earlier at UCLA on how to buy and manage apartment buildings. So I thought I knew what to do because I'd taken this class 14 years earlier. I had a bunch of forms, you know, it helped, but there's a lot of on the job learning. Well, so do you recommend that people manage their own properties or hire a property manager? Um, In either case, it's going to require education. If you're going to manage it yourself, you want to be educated. If you're going to hire a management company, you need to be educated on how to manage a management company. You need to know the, the documents that they provide to you in terms of the accounting. You need to be able to understand them. You need to be able to ask questions. You need to know that um, units that they are saying are empty aren't actually being rented by someone who's paying cash. I mean, you know, that's it's an, just, you got yeah. it's an education process. That's a, how did you learn? I mean, you um, had the, this USCLA, but how did you learn? You went on the job and just figured yeah. it out? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I followed the advice of uh, the teacher from UCLA, you know, from the notes that I had. And I guess it comes from a, a particular attitude that's paid off. And here's what I'm getting at. I, by the way, I teach a course like that now at UCLA. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's so awesome. It, it's a way of giving back. And I walk my talk. As an example, I do manage my own properties. Um, I have a part-time assistant. And like today, I spent two hours involved in the apartment buildings. I probably average about five hours a week for tens of thousands of dollars a month. That's awesome. I think yeah. that's the dream. So yeah. I want to... I don't want this podcast to turn into just real estate. So I want to go back to the three secrets of the wealthy. Yes. Thank what you. other <laughs> secrets? Thank you for keeping me on track. No problem. I mean, we could talk about real estate. I owned real estate when I was in college, 2002 to 2005. Um, so we could talk about real estate, but I think it's going to be more beneficial to the listeners. Let's go on with the secrets of the mindset, because yes. that's the biggest thing. I think there, I've seen a lot of coaches and consultants. I'm sure you've seen them as well that are making $300,000, $500,000 a year and they're yep. sitting in cash mm-hmm. or they're sitting in crypto or they're sitting in stocks. Yep. And none of those have any kind of tax benefit or really growth strategy behind them other than prey. So I'd yep. love to hear some of the thoughts about what mindset, because there's mindset, there's skills, and there's character traits. Yes. Those three things have to combine to give you the ladder 
the rungs on the ladder to be a good investor or to be good at whatever you're doing. People that got good at their job, it's because they mastered things that built that. So investment's the same. So please share with us some of the secrets. Okay. So the three secrets, and one of them we've spent the most time talking about are attitudes. Like I said, there's 32 of them. We've touched on a couple of them. Uh, using debt to create wealth. It's a team sport, not a solo sport. Uh, pay your, treat yourself like you matter. Pay yourself first. So there's three of them. So attitudes is secret number one. Secret number two is the forms. The, the wealthy use the same forms you and I would use from the standpoint of figuring out where their money is coming from, where their money's going, what their net worth is, but they do look at them differently. As an example, your accountant may say your home is an asset on a net worth or a balance sheet. It's not really, it doesn't belong there. It's not going to generate an income. Again, unless you're renting it out or using it as Airbnb, your home sucks up money. You got to pay property taxes, maintenance and, uh, and insurance, utilities. The home generates, sucks up money. It doesn't generate an income. So when I'm talking about assets, a wealthy person is looking at what is it that will generate an income for me? So that's how they're looking at the forms. And the third item that we've also touched on is the investments. And most wealthy people are in control of their investments as opposed to parking the money and hoping it turns out okay. And it doesn't matter if it's an oil and gas project, uh, an office park, an office building, an apartment building, student housing, triple net lease, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, self-storage facility. I mean, I could go on and on with all the different investments there are, but the key is the wealthy person is in charge of it. They have some level of control over the investment. Got it. So, I think, I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of directions that I could take that. The control, I think a lot of people, especially people who probably don't do well with investments, the reason that they're scared is because at one point or another, they handed money over to somebody and said, I don't know how to do investing, but here's $20,000. Here's my 401k. <laughs> here's, right. I yeah. mean, they go to a, how the wealth wealth advisor market is a very interesting market, right? I'm going to take... 2% of everything, and I'm going to put it in Vanguard. Dun, da, da, you could do that yourself. Um, but they do it because they trust the person because it's at the end of the day, it's about trust. So how do you, where should people start? Because I think a lot of people don't trust themselves with the control. Yes. And, and you're right. And, and that's the difficulty is having a, last, a, a lack of trust in oneself. I, I felt rightly or wrongly, that I would succeed in investing in real estate because I had the opportunity to control it. The, um, if it comes to stocks, I knew I had no control. Um, I've invested in oil and gas. I don't have the control, but it provided the tax advantages that I wanted. And so there are different reasons for different investments. And it gets back to what I said earlier, it does require someone to be educated. And this, may, this is going to be a little bit difficult to put your finger on, but you've got to use your gut. You've got to use your intuition. Women are good at this. Men have to pay attention to it, which we often don't. 
And if you're not feeling comfortable about what you think someone is able to do, chances are you're right. And we ignore it. I, I agree with you. And I would, I, I'm thinking about decisions that I have made. There's some point where it's like, your gut is telling you that it's wrong. And there's, there's the other part where it's, I just feel uncomfortable because I'm outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. What would be, what would be some resources that you would point people to, to allow them to become more comfortable with investing where they could start to trust themselves? And how would you recommend they get started? If, if real estate for you, you did as a team sport, they could go to a real estate investment club. If they don't want to do real estate, where, what are some resources that you found useful on your journey between we'll say 50 and 58? Yeah, like those well, there are investment clubs that also take uh, investing in stocks with a team approach. Um, let's say there's 10 people in an investment club, they pool their money, they talk about what companies they want to invest in, what are the pros and the cons, what does the projections look like? And so an individual is not having to do it by themselves when they're in uh, an investment club. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted to take a short break from this episode and let you know about one of the biggest secrets I have found when it comes to converting webinars. If you have a webinar and it's not converting as well as you want, or if you're thinking about building a webinar and you want to grab this tip, it has helped numerous people. One of my clients, we actually doubled their conversion rate just by implementing this one simple step. And you can grab it at deathtobadwebinars.com or by clicking in the show notes below. All right, let's jump back to the episode. I'm trying to think. I mean, books that I read back then, I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I feel like everybody should probably read that. Yeah. But there are, I feel like just opening your mind. I mean, you've mentioned five or six different ways. I think self-storage facilities are pretty awesome because you don't have to worry about plumbing and heating and air conditioning and all the stuff that goes with an apartment. Oh, they tore up the carpet or, oh, they snuck pets in, or they've got 15 people living there. Like you don't have to worry about that stuff as much. Um, And they still grow in value, which is at the end of the day, what you're looking for. Exactly. You've got an increasing income and an increased value of the property. And one of the things that I forgot to continue on the train of thought was that I'm teaching at UCLA and I'm walking my talk. As an example, I treat my tenants as people who are buying real estate for me. Mm -hmm. And through this pandemic, and I don't think there are too many landlords that can say this, I've had 100% of my tenants pay 100% of their rent from March to March. And now I only have one tenant who's falling behind. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that is, and that is definitely a rarity. Um, I think that especially during COVID, I think a lot of people have said like, (laughs) a lot of people have said that that is, like they're scared of real estate because of that. Yes. Um, what would you say? My question, I've heard people say this. Um, I've, I've gone to some real estate conferences over the last two years, and I've heard some people say this, that we've reached the peak or there are so many people shopping for investment properties right now. You can't find a good investment property. What would you say to that? And 
how, how, how would you tell people to go about searching for properties? Obviously you worked with a real estate agent who was an investor as well. He was on your team. Um, but what would you tell somebody starting off? Um, that it will be harder to find a good project, but not impossible because you're correct. More people are shopping for multi-unit properties and therefore it's not going to be as easy to find, but it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, there are people who buy bonds so they can clip coupons and have a completely passive income. And, there, and what we did is we bought buildings that were mismanaged and had deferred maintenance mm -hmm. and we turned them around to create the appreciation and the increased rental income. We were willing to take that on. I was also 23, 20 years younger. There you go. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit. I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about Wealth on Any Income, your book. And I want to talk about giving 100% of not profits. revenue, but profits. <laughs> talk to me a little bit about the book. What would people find when they read it? Where can they go to get it? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, the book is really based on several things. It's based on a lot of books that I read. And the first third of it is really dealing with the emotional component, the psychological, the mindset piece that gets in the way of people creating wealth or even an adequate or prosperous lifestyle. So um, let me put you on the spot again. Steve, sure. is there someone you know who's obese? Of course. Okay. Uh, would you guess they know? Well, let me ask you this. What are the two primary things that would help people lose weight? Uh, stopping eating sugar and at least going for a 30 minute walk every day. Okay. So moving and changing eating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you think there is an obese person who doesn't know that? No. Right. So the knowledge means nothing because obviously there's some emotional stuff that's in the way of putting that into action. So it's the same thing with creating wealth or creating financial prosperity or whatever you want to call it. And that's the first thing I have to deal with. And that's the first third of the book is what are the messages you got as you were growing up? Uh, how did your parents uh, treat money? Uh, what are the messages that you got? Um, what did your siblings say you could or couldn't do or a school counselor, whatever. So I deal with the emotional attitudes first so that I can have a shift in mindset. And the latter two thirds of the book is the practical tips and techniques on how to handle money powerfully, how to do a spending plan. I don't do budgets. We do spending plans. I want people to spend money in alignment with the goals that they want to create. And so that's how the book is designed. And the last, very last part of the book are the actual forms that I used to transform my situation. And generally they're the same things any wealthy person would be using. And where can they get it? Uh, they can get it at Amazon, but if they do that, the charity doesn't get much in the way of profits. Uh, if they buy it from my website, I actually give 100% of the proceeds to the charity from the book sales. And the, the website is the same as the book title, Wealth on Any Income. Awesome. So that is in the show notes. If you guys want to pick up a copy of the book, click in the show notes. The link is down there. 
Um, I'm definitely interested. Tell me a little bit about the forms because I I like forms. I like stuff that tracks things. I like things that I can be like, oh, I filled this out and it works. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I've uh, had people fill out the forms and they would tell me, oh my gosh, I now understand what's been going wrong just from filling out the forms. As an example, in the income and expense form, it shows there's a multitude of sources where your income could be coming from, not just a paycheck, not just your business. And on the expense side, I have stars next to all the items where you could be spending money, but it doesn't show up monthly, like car repairs, back to school clothing, auto registration, health or life or disability insurance, um, income taxes, whatever. And when someone realizes and factors in those expenses, they understand what the whole picture looks like and what they really need to be earning or what they really need to be spending so that things work out the way they want. Nice. I think that, I think that's like going back to our example about the person that's overweight. I think people like they know that they should eat less and they should exercise more, but the forms show you where you should spend your time and your energy and show you some things that are hidden, right? Everybody, it's really easy to say, like I spend all my income, right? I've heard people say this. I'm, I have a budget. I've always had a budget. Some girls that I've dated, like I can't, I, I spend all my money. I don't need a budget. I'm like, no, that's exactly why you need a budget. So you can see, because if we pull out your bank statement and categorize it and look at it, but some people don't want to deal with that pain, but I think it is one of the most enlightening things you could do. Oh yeah. One of my favorite books was the millionaire next door. Mm -hmm. uh, and the example he uses, and he illustrates two physicians, one who spends pretty much everything he earns and says he handles money fabulously because he saved $13,000 on the new Porsche that he bought. And the other doctor's driving around a five-year-old Chevy or something and has a far greater net worth. But the thing is that you look at someone who, let's say, is physically fit. You see him jogging. He looks so healthy. You wouldn't say, why is he jogging? He doesn't need to. He looks so physically fit. That's exactly right. That is a very, very good way to look at it. Well, Renny, we're going to wrap this up before we get off of here. If there was one thing that you could tell somebody who says, you know, I have a good job, I'm making six figures, but I have very little in the bank. If you could tell them one concrete tactic they should do, what should they do? Where's the place to start? I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but it's your show. So it's live on 80% of the money you have to spend, keep 10% for the rest of your life and set 10% aside that you will spend later when things go wrong. So before we get off the show, is there anything that you want to tell us about the charity that you donate the profits to? Absolutely. It's called Shelter to Soldier. There's donate buttons all over my website. And what they do is they rescue dogs from environments where they could be euthanized. And they're trained as service animals for soldiers who've come back with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries that might have otherwise committed suicide. And the suicide rate among returning veterans is about one an hour, it's 22 a day. So the dog's lives are saved. Those dogs save the soldier's lives. 
this charity is saving two lives at a time. I love it. That is super powerful. And I can't think of a better charity. So make sure you go pick up Wealth on Any Income. It is in the show notes down below. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest. To everybody who is listening, make sure you click in the show notes, grab his book. I'm sure that you will learn something. Plus, you're going to help out some people because the profits go to charity as long as you buy through his website. Renny, thank you so much for being on. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure. To everyone else out there, until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We will see you soon. I forgot to talk about shelter to soldier that gets the money. You want to? Yeah. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.